Hello and welcome to Conversations from the ANF podcast. In this episode, we speak to former foster carer Nikki. She shares her formative experience of being in foster care and how this informed her decision to become a carer. Nikki's honest about the experience of being a carer and reflects on some of the challenges in that role and the systemic feelings that ultimately led to her resigning her registration. If you're an adoptive parent, her views on the process of introductions will certainly be of interest to you. As always, if you have experience of adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective, personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please get in touch through the Facebook page or Twitter, or you can email us at anfpodcast at gmail.com. My name's Nikki, and um, I've recently resigned as a foster carer. I was working as a foster carer for seven years. Um, We've had too long we're short term we were short-term foster carers which was by our choice and we've had four play four different placements um and the last one um has just recently left he he we had we had him for a long time from birth and he he went off to adoption um so yeah i've always yeah. i've always wanted to be a foster carer from when i was young I wanted to be a foster carer. I'm a care experienced person myself. And I always told myself that I'd like to do that when I'm older. I never wanted children, but I always wanted to work with children. And I promised myself when I was in a situation with a good partner and I and the, and the time was right and I was ready, that I that's what I would do. It was a life goal. Yeah. And, that, and 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 yeah, we did that. Can I ask you, um, are you comfortable sharing any of your care yeah. experience? Um, yeah, if it helps. So um, I went into foster care from, as I remember, probably about 13 or 14. And there was a, um, I was having some difficulties at home. My mum and dad had got divorced. Um. And it was really tricky at home. I'd say now, look, looking back, really neglectful parenting, not really from a bad place, but from more of a vulnerable woman place in terms of my mum. She had three, three sort of teenagers and um, my dad had just completely left and my mum literally couldn't do it. She had a breakdown yeah. and got involved with some tricky stuff that, that I didn't want to be involved with. There was a social worker at my school and I approached her and I said that I don't want to live at home anymore. Um, that I didn't, I couldn't cope. Um, so through that process, I basically put myself in care basically, let's say it that way, I think. Well, um, sounds quite remarkable. I mean, and so were you put into, you know, a foster with foster carers or what happened? i I was put into foster care with, there was someone from my school who I knew who said that they would take me on. And so I was put into foster care in their home. Yeah. So it was kind of like, it was an odd situation looking at fostering now, but it went through all the process. And so I went to live with a, a girl that I knew from school. Right. And I I think I lived there for, well, I think, a, a memories, um, as a queen said, Mem- recollections may vary but in my <laughs> mind I stayed there probably a couple of years so turn the clock I remember, sorry interestingly enough so interestingly enough I don't remember loads about the period but I do remember the name of the social worker clearly you know how when yeah. you're at school you you remember people's first names and surnames don't you because mm. you know them by their whole name and and I remember the t- I, I remember I won't say it now but I, I know her whole name that social worker which was quite um I was so, that, so it sounds like that's had quite a profound ex- profound effect on you like in that you thinking one day I'm going to do this and so that mm. how many I mean give us a rough idea I don't want to be indiscreet but how many years before you then sort of got to the start line of becoming a foster carer oh a long time so that I didn't become I'm I'm now I think 57. So I think we didn't apply to be foster carer until we was 50. Yeah. 
because I went through a big process. So if you come from um, my background, because, you know, there was neglect and some, you know, yeah. I don't want to go too deeply into it. I don't mind, but I don't want to be, you know, I, I don't yeah. feel like that person anymore. But there was some other stuff that went on within my family that got, that was before that, that was pretty tricky. So, um to get out of the, uh, to get away from childhood, adverse childhood experiences, as yeah. we know them now, takes a long time, you know. It took me a long time and a long process and a lot of running away to different countries and to different places and, you know, um, a lot of coping strategies were picked up and worked through Um so it didn't take, I think I really recovered from my childhood in my early 40s. Yeah. I would say. And um and I retrained as I treat in my early 40s I retrained as a counselor, um therapeutic counselor and I started working with um uh really vulnerable people so people with substance misuse, people who were um um exploited through prostitution all the people that maybe other people don't want to work with because <laughs> I, I suppose i felt quite in tune with you know um i think i've read um the body holder score and i think i was listening to a chapter not long ago and it was saying that if you're from trauma you can work quite closely with it and that's kind of like there's something in the um i don't know something within yourself that feels yeah quite at ease near near trauma yeah so Shavu- you got, no, i was gonna say you got in touch with me sort of out of the blue and said look i you know i'm a foster carer um been mm. a foster carer for this long and it's um uh, things ain't too good i'm a bit disillusioned disillusioned maybe a good way of putting it um so tell me about your your how did you find the process of becoming a foster carer and then kind of what What's the story? Um, so the process of becoming a foster carer for me was long because um, we had a few hiccups in the road. You know, our house wasn't rewired to the standard. Um, so we had to sort of like take six months and, you know, a lot of money to do that. Um, I don't mind. Um, I'm quite happy to talk. And in a way, I found it quite healing having the form f and somebody come around your house and get you to talk about your life because it was a little bit therapeutic and plus i'm not really somebody i've you know i had trained as a counselor so i wasn't really someone who had a problem with discussing anything in my life you know you you can talk about and i i mean i didn't want to talk openly on a podcast about it but you know when i was talking earlier about why you know, some of that stuff that happened to me as a child, Um, another podcast maybe, but, you know, it still impacts people, so other people. So that's protecting, like, my brothers and things like that. But um, I didn't mind that, you know. Me and my husband are really open. My husband was at the time a firefighter. I think he probably struggled with it slightly more than I did. Um, Like, it's pretty intrusive. But to me... I find every time I go over that history, it just, um, for me, I I didn't mind it. It's like someone writing a book about you, isn't it? I found it quite nice. Someone come in to ask you questions about yourself and, you know, you can go over and you can see your progression. You know, I didn't, I was very open. I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything to hide. Um, So. Yeah, I mean, but did they find it quite... I know that, you know, that's part of my day job is assessing people to be formal. When people have had interesting lives, and I say that, I don't, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. When people have had interesting lives um, and adulthood, that makes it more work. You know, that. <laughs> so was yeah. that, did they find it easier? Were they, was it just a pretty straightforward process and getting to panel and proved that'll go okay? All went really well. The social worker that came, she was so lovely. She was just such a lovely human. And, um, you know, she said she said to one of our, I don't know whether the, you, you know, I don't know if she said to one of our referees that I've never met two people that I think are more suitable for fostering. So, yeah, that sort of, 
yeah. the, the actual, that actual process went really, really okay. So you said you were, you were approved for short term and you got through the process. So fostering, what was it? Did it, was it what you thought it would be? Um, it was to start with, but I, I don't know. It, it, it was, you know, we got a phone call. It was always not straightforward. So we have a dog and we had the dog assessed because they must have had a bit more money in those days. And um, our dog had room, uh, something wrong with his leg. So the dog assessor said, it's not safe for that dog to be around children under three. No, never been any, there was never anything. You know, she just made that assessment. So I didn't agree with that, but however, um, so the first phone call we got was like, oh, could you look after these children? Well, actually, a, a few phone calls in, the first ones were a bit like, could you look after? The first phone call was, I know you're newly, um, newly foster carers, but could you look after this child? So you might have to knock your house through and have a um, extension. Oh, no, knock your roof through and have a you know something that picks up a child. What like a hoist. a hoist. Hoist. You might have to have that put through into your house, but you know, blah blah blah. And we're like, no, that's too much for us to start with. You know, like let's just it- start somewhere else. And um, anyway, so the first placement that we took on. They, they said, look, he's two and a half. And I said, yeah, but we're not allowed to have children under three. Oh, well, he's nearly three. So that was our sort of, you know, um, first yeah. placement, first rule break, um, and first understanding that rules are only rules sometimes of in, you know, flexible yeah, yeah. rules. Um, so we, so that was really lovely. We, you know, it was really nice really successful children went home at the end of that placement I had a really a feeling that I had never experienced before when they went home and I remember thinking they said that it would be hard I didn't realize it would be this hard but it only seemed it only lasted like a couple of days it wasn't terribly intense and I don't I think on reflection now I think it might be because they went home yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's why I sort of reflect on, um, which is a good result. I mean, that that's yeah. that's when we think about fostering. That's the perfect result: is that a child is able yeah. to return home. You've kept them safe for a little bit of time. Yeah, you've weathered the storm, and a child returns home. So yeah, I can see how that that loss is tempered by this is a really positive thing. Yeah, and and, and you know that mum worked really hard to get her children. She worked really hard and we had a lovely relationship with her and the family. Um, and it was, yeah, it was as we, that that part was as we hoped it would be. Yeah. But right from the beginning, the part that was hard was working with social services. Right. That was the hard part. The part that my expectations were always higher then my high expectations that things should go as they say they should go with the LA is a bit that always got me. Right. You know, that's a bit what I think knocked me bit by bit by bit by bit by bit down and frightened me because I think um, always scared me a bit. You know, um, I never felt you don't really feel safe within that. Uh, I think as a foster care, I knew from right from very early on that foster carers have no rights. They have no yeah. workers' rights. You have no right to whistle blow in. They say you do, but you don't. Um, you know, you're not. You're under a scrutiny that normal workers aren't under. And at the same time as be under that scrutiny, you have a child to love in your home. Yeah. Which can which makes everything really, really tricky. For me, it made me everything tricky for me. And I know for other people it's tricky too. Yeah. Um, 
I was always really fearful of an allegation because I'd heard such terrible things about allegations and what happens with allegations. So for me, you know, um, knowing all of that and having quite a, a mind that can go to the, go to, yeah. you know, places, um, I don't know, quite easily. Just I, I research a lot of stuff. So I researched a lot. You know, I was looking into how, you know, all or what could you do, what happens. And I knew a lot of stuff. I think I was a member of the a, a union at the time, which I'm not a member of now. It was a um uh, um I, I don't know it was a it was a, a union that was going on that was with foster carers, but they didn't really have much say because the unions it was different to what it is now. I'm a member of um, the um, National Union of Professional Foster Carers who actually yeah. have won. They've won some rights for foster carers, whereas back in those days, there wasn't. you didn't really have the right to have a union because it wasn't through the court. So it was a bit yeah. a bit pointless, really. But um, So I've gone off a bit track of what we were. Well, well, no, I think it's interesting that because it's – you're sort of you're talking about a lot of the downsides, you know, like how how it made you feel, you know, that that sense of vulnerability in you doing a positive thing that you actually, in the midst of all that, felt quite vulnerable. So, sort of, it begs the question as you were talking, why did you then keep going? If, if... Um, because because I loved the I I loved those two children that came to our house, and I right. really liked what we were doing, and I really believed in what we were doing. And I, I believe, I believe in what we had to offer. Yeah. You know, our home is lovely for a child. You know, we've got a beautiful dog. We've got, you know, uh, two people within the home that hundred gave a hundred and there isn't a hundred and one, is there? But <laughs> we gave a hundred and one percent. We gave so much effort for those children. We yeah. knew we had a lot of love and a lot of care, and we knew that we had that opportunity to give that. And that was my lifelong goal. And I'm not easily put off by a little bit of vulnerability. Don't forget, I've come from vulnerability. So, you know, a little bit of vulnerability on the back burner is not going to stop me doing what I wanted to do. Does, it, does right. that make sense? Yeah. I thought I could, you know, that that seemed to be, it wasn't just me, you know, you know, if you joined, if, if I joined my um, support group, it wasn't just me feeling that way. Yeah. Lots of people were feeling that way. So it didn't, you know, I wasn't feeling um, in any way, you know, singled out. It was, it seemed the way it was. Yeah. And what you had to accept in order to, do the role and I wanted to do the role and so did my husband yeah and I, like you said it, it wasn't it wasn't personal it's just the system no. which is and I learned yeah I had to learn that I think on one of my you know um I recently got my service access request and seen some of my notes and it says on there you know Nikki struggles with you know um having taken it personally but it's the system that's what I was having to learn. That's what I think you have to learn as a foster carer that, you know, the system's not fit. The mm. intruder, I'm not going to lie, it's not fit for purpose for ha a lot of the time. It's not fit for purpose. That's how I see it now. It's the best we've got. And everyone's trying, you know, everyone, I'd say everyone was trying to do their best with the little resources they got. You know, everyone's working with trauma. You know, um, social workers are overworked, overloaded with jobs. You know, they're working under really intense situations. You know, foster carers are doing, you know, their mm. bit. They've got no rights. They're working under, like, intense pressure. Everyone's working under intense pressure. You're working with traumatised, vulnerable children and really yeah. difficult situations. It's not going to be... You can't expect to walk into a role like that and it to be a walk in the park. So, yeah. you know, you know those negative sides of the role, the positive sides out, outweighed it. Because I, I guess that what I often reflect, as I say, I'm, you know, I'm a social worker and this is, I've been a foster carer as well. Um, mm. I sort of often reflect that people expect 
you know, they don't expect difficult behavior from children, but they expect that's where the work is. You know, that's where it's going to, you know, that they have an expectation, an anticipation of, you know, the, the challenges children have experienced and how they're going to need to do that. And I think sometimes the, the, the system pressures and the, the challenges in the system sometimes is just unexpected. Oh, hmm. I didn't think it would be like this. I, you know, I expected yeah. it to be difficult days with children. Hmm. I didn't expect it to be difficult days with social workers. That's the difficult bit. The children were never difficult because for me that the children are, um, the children were, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to yeah. be there. and be that. I wanted to be that adult for children that I know I, that we were in a place to be and we were. And I wanted to give them that home and that lifestyle and everything that, all that emotion and love that we could give them. That's what we wanted to do and that's what we did do. And, yeah. and we did it really well. I'm not, you know, I'm not one to praise myself up overly, but I know without shadow of a doubt how we were with our children were we we literally i you know i read everything about trauma i was already i was already trauma informed as a worker anyway but i i read you know i i couldn't have read up any more on trauma informed secure based care you know and in truth we had a lot of um uh, there was training from local authorities you know you could go and learn about that stuff um and and we got better and better over the years, you know, looking after the children. You know, you, you you do, you miss a few things at the beginning because you're not so, you know, you don't know as much. But yeah. the more and more children you have, the more, you know, um, the better you get at it, I think. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. You know, you get, you learn, you know, you, you learn the tricks of the trade and you get, you gain that experience. Mm. We when we were talking earlier, we were talking about you know your experience of or across the seven years, and I know that you had experience of moving children on to adoption, and I think mm. that's um, a, a sort of a uniquely peculiar sort of I don't know I don't know how to describe it really a, a an event system process um, that often can be really difficult for everyone involved. Um, are you comfortable talking about sort of your experiences around that? And obviously, I, I'm I'm conscious that I don't want to um, I don't want to, we don't want to identify anyone. We, you know, and, and I know yeah. you're very conscious of that as well. But I'm just saying. So you know, if you speak in vague terms, then we all know, yeah. <laughs> we all know why. I um, so one of the things that that I'm really passionate about because I know, you know. I, I've I've sat and I've worked and counselled and talked to adults that have been through the care system who have the remnants of broken attachments. And I've I know where that can go. I've seen it. I've mm. I've I've sat in a car up and down Brixton High Street working with with people that are so traumatized by their past, you know. Um, I've sat, counselled and run groups, women's groups. You know, I know where that stuff can go. So the most important thing for us was to be able to give that secure attachment for the children. And to be to do that, you have to give your whole heart to the children. So in adoption, it's really hard. And I never realised exactly how emotionally charged that would be at the end of the process I, I didn't understand that so when our first child went and it was he he they went home and I had a couple of days of sadness what what happened with the adoption process I mean it is changed now but our first adoption was a 10-day adoption yeah and every single part of me objected to it I objected all the way along to the short five days to get to know a new person and five days, five days with me in, yeah. in, you know, showing and then five days to let go. I understood it. I'm a grown up, but that child 
did not understand what on earth was going to happen. And I, you know, I worked with Tavistock. I worked really intensely with the child to do, to support that child, to understand that child appropriate age, mm. you know, get a, you get two houses and you play, you know, this dolly, you know, this dolly lives in here and then this dolly's going to go and live here. And, you know, we're going to move, you're going to move and this dolly, you know, um, you know, play acting. So the child had some understanding of what was going to happen, you know, make simple little storybooks, you know, with Tavistock so that they, you could read them, you know, so you live here, you know, and we, uh, you know, and we love you. Um, soon you're going to live here, and you know we're going to be really happy thinking about you living there, giving them permission to be happy. You know, we just pulled out all the stops to do everything right, but still in our heart of hearts, we had no idea the emotional mm. impact that that would have. Because I was thinking as you were talking, the there's a really unusual power dynamic as well, isn't there, around the whole, because the adoptive parents, you know, because, yeah, I'm an adoptive parent, so I'm going to be on their side. But they're often in a situation where they've been really waiting for this and they're being totally led by professionals. So even if they don't agree, they're sort of being told, this is how it is. And they don't mm -hmm. feel in a position to say anything other than yes. So it's Of course, and they're terrified. They're terrified to do the wrong thing. Uh, you yeah. know, that's how... It came because they're so desperate and you know they, they they see their child and they love their child and you know by this point when you're doing an adoption you have been through everything with that child yeah. from meeting the child helping you've had a journey you know helping that child to feel safe within your home bonding with that child sometimes separating that child from siblings Sometimes, well, all the time learning to, you know, because the idea is for that child to go back to their, their first family, getting to know the first family, hoping that they can get their act together. Then they end up not being able to get their act together. Then you have to go through the goodbyes, which is heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching. Then you have a week or so to recover, and then you have to move on to this very jolly time. You know this, yeah. Oh, and uh, with the the adoptive parents so excited, you know, so happy and excited and desperate to get to know this lovely child, and you have such unnatural mixed emotions as a foster carer to be happy for this new adoption, but also you're holding the sadness that you've just experienced with this child. The, yeah. the child doesn't really understand too much when they're under two, but they they have the primal wound. I've read the book, you know. They 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 you know they can't articulate it, but they've already had trauma. They've already been separated. You know, some children are separated from, you know, in placement from, you know, a brother and sister at that time. So yeah, I think this is where it's this is where it started really going wrong for us. Mm. This, you know, really started going wrong because it really felt like the professionals respectfully to the professionals that they weren't as informed in my opinion as I was on loss and trauma because when what I was saying is please please make this slower Please, please read these. Read this. I, I remember at the time that there was a um, paper that I read and I found, and it said the children were fine. And it was these this paper that was written, and and it was saying that you know children that go to adoption in these really quick adoptions, you know, they act like they're fine when they get there, and then when and and because everyone's you know full of anxiety or excitement, they don't really want to see beyond that fine. I keep doing that. Yeah. You can't see on but that. <laughs> yeah. Air quotes. Air quotes. What happens is everybody wanted, everybody, it seems everyone wanted it to be so great. They were so fine that they didn't, they lost, we all lost a child. To be honest, I'm not going to lie, I didn't lose a child. And I'm the one that, I was like, please read this. I was sending it to everybody, everyone who would listen. And nobody was listening to me. Mm. And 
And I was like, this isn't sitting right for me. Five days is not enough. This child's lived with us for two years. You know, it's not, it's it's literally not enough. You know, what are they going to make of it? What, you know, attachments are the golden strands of bloody life. You know, yeah. we, can't, we can't just cut this off. You know, this is not good for the child. It's not good for the child's mental health at the time. And it's not good for the child's long-term mental health. Because what we all know now, if well, I say we all know, I unfortunately we don't all know, but what I know is that att attachment break, pre-verbal age, doesn't you can't verbalize it, they can't say, Oh, I'm really up there. It goes internal and it works its way out at a later date, and it works its way out by responses, reactions, possibly looking low self-esteem. You've got adopted children, I don't. So I've been quoted as I'm a foster care and I don't have adopted children, so I don't know. So what has been said to me. Um, so therefore disregarded in what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So I, I, I screamed and shouted for everybody to listen, but but nobody listened, you know. And uh, I was when say I read... Yeah. So I was going to say, well, um, no, no, it, I, I don't I hate to interrupt you, but I was thinking as well as there's that a really unique power dynamic as well as that you are, and I think, well, I'm going to use air quotes now, you're just a foster carer. Um, yeah. And no matter how much you've read, you're still just a foster you, you could have all the qualifications in the world. You could be, you know, you could be a psychotherapist. You're still just yeah. a foster carer. And was there an element of you being sort of slightly sideswiped by that because it was your first experience and you were kind of like probably quite biddable and led by the professionals? Then I know you you then moved another child on to adoption. So surely that must have been a really difficult time for you to kind of then put this flag up going, hang on, we're not going through this again. Well, after the first adoption and, um, you know, this is what happens to foster carers. It doesn't matter how um, trained you are, you do become just a foster carer. And actually what you become in adoption, what we learned from the first one is a useless resource. As soon as a child's moved, you 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 literally feel like a resource that you don't do not need it anymore. Mm. Yet you are the person that knows that child. Twenty four hours a day, you've had that child. You've you've loved and you've cared and you've protected and you've looked after and you've completely adored. And then all of a sudden, you're not useful anymore. You, you're just a, you know, just, you need, we need you to love that child, Nikki. We need you to, you know, spend, you know, give your whole heart to that child. But as yeah. soon as a child's done, it's like, dare not have any emotions. Do not have any emotions. Because if you have any emotions, then all of a sudden what's going to happen is, oh, a bit too emotional, can't cope with loss. You know, all these sort of like little things come up. So, um by the time we did our second adoption, I was, again, another long-term play, you know, we're short-term foster carers, but by the time it had gone through the um, the courts, it, you know, it, it, yeah. again, another couple of years. A couple of years from birth, and that's not just two years, like I've been and gone and lived in Ibiza for two years and had a nice time and I'm going to miss it. That's two years of someone's whole life. Yeah. You know? Um, but we had the new UEA model, which yeah. is the University of East Anglia, I think, model. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was so I was so excited to be part of that model because I thought they're going to do it differently. It's going to be done differently. It's going to be longer. Um, you know, and and um, you know the professionals. We're saying, you know, I was saying I'm, I'm, I have real concerns. You know, I didn't have a good experience last time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, don't worry, just be yourself. You know, you know, we know you're a really good carer. You know, we'll adapt it to however, if you feel that, sorry, I'm being sarcastic now, I know. If you feel, <laughs> what I was saying is, if you feel that, if you feel that changes need to be made, you're the expert, we'll really listen to you. And 
that was all the patronising talk that you get at the beginning until something really does happen. And then it went really, really wrong, really, really wrong. Um, all of in all of the anxieties, this is my version of it. So all of the anxieties came up. We weren't involved in in any, we weren't involved. Once a child moved, we weren't involved. We were we we still saw the child in the given times, but it was greatly reduced because we stuff happened. But we didn't have a we didn't have a voice in it. We we were completely it, it we were completely withdrawn from the conversation. Um, stuff happened, and we were withdrawn from the conversation. Which for me, who's vocal, sent me, you know. Um, into, well, no, um, into. Well, yeah. Uh, it sent me into. I'm going to write to this person. I'm going to write to the right. You know who wrote this model? Is this right? Should this be happening? Da 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 da. You A know, I'm going to read that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get seen as, don't you? Well, yeah, yeah. But, I said glibly, but that is the reality, isn't it? The minute you you start to sort of step off the approved track, then people are not happy. And people weren't happy with me. And and the more unhappy the, the people became, the more difficult it was for us. And at the same time as this, you're trying to keep a relationship with the adopters. You know, you're, you're trying to do what your heart says is the right thing to do because hmm. you know that separation that that child being separated from you isn't a good thing and that you know that well i knew that you know if the child gets confused when we go there that's okay it's confusing it's a confusing time don't stop us going because the child got confused why would the child not get confused that's hmm. my take on the matter you know of course a child's going to be confused let 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 us all work through this together let's all sit down you know soothe your anxieties soothe your anxieties soothe our anxieties let's all sit down as it says in the model sensitively talk about the situation and work as a team around the child that didn't happen and as you said we became the bad guys um and consequently consequently we had we resigned mm. because we resigned because i'm fierce for my children when my children are with me i'm fierce i will have every i will have every service every resource i'll go out i'll get it i'll make sure they get it do you know what i mean i'm not passively going to sit back and just go okay let's just wait for the social workers to refer us to the otherwise you wouldn't with all due respect you wouldn't really get anywhere if that kind of attitude because in mm. truth social workers have a really lot to deal with they have a really big workload and with the best will in the world they literally can't do it as well as the foster carer can advocating for their child and there's a contradiction isn't there? It feels like there's a contradiction in that we ask our foster carers to be passionate. We ask our foster carers to go the extra mile. We ask our foster carers to be, you know, be the be the voice of the child, be the advocate, be the, you know, and absolutely. But that sometimes means that we become the grit in the machine, don't we? We're the grit in the gears that, you know, I say we. I remember it was the foster carer. That was our experience as well. It's the minute you kind of put your hand up and go, oh, hang on. Um, is that, are we all thinking right here? And then, then, yeah. then the wheels start to come off, and that that contradiction must be you just so uniquely frustrating for you. It's heartbreaking because it's heartbreaking and frustrating, yeah. And you know, for some, and then you, and then you're silenced, and being silenced doesn't work for me very well. Um, so. I'm not a bee silenced person. I was a bee silenced person as a child. And I kept getting, oh, you know, you're struggling with this, you're struggling with that. And I'm like, actually, no, I'm not struggling with this. You're struggling with it, not me, because I'm the one highlighting it. I'm the one who wants to talk about it. I'm the one who wants it on the 
table. You, do, do you know what I mean? Um, and so there was a point, it got to the point where we just said, enough is enough. Your values don't align with ours. My value is that I want that child and all of the children in our care to have, you know, we still want to be in contact with them. We still want to, even in in whatever way that is, we don't want to break our pro- promise with the older children. You know, we've had children in our care where, as an older child, we promised them that we would keep in contact with them. And we weren't allowed to keep in contact with them because we, as soon as they left, so I'm going off the adoption thing, but as soon as the child left, it become, now they need six weeks to settle into their new home. Hmm. And then after the six weeks, um, no, they need a bit, you know, they need a bit more time. Only if they ask to see you, are they allowed to see you? And some children just aren't going to ask. You know, we've just abandoned the child for six weeks. She's, you know, we told her we keep in contact and we haven't. Why is she going to ask? Do you know? Do you, and why are we putting that pressure on a child? Um, anyway, yeah, it just all got all too much because my feeling of fostering is we want to make an attachment with this child where possible, we want to keep the attachment. Mm. We, we've seen so many malfunctions within social services. It's not from our cases. You know, we've seen fantastic foster carers going through the allegation allegations that just brutalise brutalized carers. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They're just so yeah. hard. You know, when you've put your heart and soul into a child and uh, and that's that that's We've seen children in foster care who are in the same borough who've never seen their brother and sister. Just too many things, too many things mounted up that you just think, hang on, you know, I've seen children, you know, I I mean, I don't want to say particular cases, but just things that you just build up and build up and build up to the point that you think, actually, I feel like I'm colluding with really traumatizing some of these children you know where we set out to work in the field to help support the children and to support the the social workers i was really good as with the social workers i thought because i would always didn't wait for them to email me i'd always give them all the information think look you're really busy you know um let me email it to you really quickly. Let me give you an update. Da, 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 da. I wasn't very good on my maybe giving up in my logs and things like that, but I was very good on the everyday stuff. Um, but after a certain period of time, you just think, hang on, you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Yeah. And in the end, I felt I was part of the problem and I could not do that to another child. I could yeah. not do that to myself my family, and more importantly, to another child. Because when you've had, when you do an adoption and you go back to see that child after the first and second time, the way that child holds on to you is a way I've never experienced. I, you know, I've worked as a nanny in the past and I've never experienced that, that hold, that, oh my God, you're still here. It's a unique feeling that I think maybe only I don't know if any other people feel like any I know other carers but I don't know if any any other job that feels that 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 oh my god you're still here you're still you know you just it, it it's just and the guilt you feel as a foster carer true mm. I don't know if this is even in on the question but you know those <laughs> children those children leave you and you know what's going to happen the adopters know what's going to happen. Everyone knows what's going to happen, but that child doesn't. No matter how much preparation that I can give a child pre under two, they don't know why they're getting left there. Yeah. And the guilt. I I, I put something up on a a Facebook fostering group, you know, and I read this thing and and the guilt that you feel because in order for them to move on, you have to let them down because. Yeah. You're their person. You're their person. And you know, without doubt, like I've never had any doubt that the adopters love and adore the children that that, that have been in our yeah. care. 
where they've gone, there's never been any doubt for us that they that they're completely loved. But in order for that child to move as a foster carer, your heart does have to break, you know, and 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 that's hard. That's really hard. And and yeah. then when you think you're part of breaking this attachment with that child, that didn't work for me and my husband. We couldn't do it anymore. You described it, you know, this golden thread of attachment through our lives. And I think that um, as you're talking now, I was thinking, you know, that again, often as a foster carer, and especially as you, the longer you go, the kind of a bit more robust you become and a bit happier to push back. But adoptive parents are not. So they are very much led. And, I, you know, I've often talked to families who come to me in those early stages and go, oh, we've been told to do this, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel normal. It, you know, like like all children have relationships with people who are far away and they don't see them very often. Like, you know, with my kids and my, their grandma, they didn't see her very often. And they get upset when they had to leave. But that's not, but the answer to that is not to say, well, we'll never go there again. Um, and it seems really counterintuitive to go, well, actually, you, what you're teaching there that, yeah, it is upsetting to say goodbye to grandma, but you're going to see her again. And that's yeah. life. And this is what, this is, this was, you know, one of my points in my exit interview, thing, one of my 30 points was um, that I don't feel that if all due respect that the workers are fully informed with this new model, that they don't, they're not always in a great place to, um, with respect to them, to advise the new adopters in what is fully known now, that if you keep a relationship going, that it's going to be less traumatic as that child gets older. And like, and I, yeah. you know, I, we, we're not silly. We we understand that as that child gets older in adoption, it's not going to be the foster carers they're looking for. It will be the first families that create yeah. that the, the identity is linked in with. But I watched a program about adoption on TV. I, I, I it was some famous woman and her daughter. She went back to I think Cambodia or something, and and she was seeking out the place where she was handed over. So that was just one place that was so important for her to know where she was as a baby. Mm. It was really important for her to know that this is the place she was and she was here one day when she was a baby. Yet we've had these children for two whole years and we that all of a sudden it's like we're too, it's too difficult for them to see us. It's like... Children can yeah. my 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 belief is children manage complex relationships really well. Yeah, you know when a mother and a father separate, you know, or a father and a father, or a mother and a mother, and they have to have new relationships, or you have another child, you don't just not see the original child just because you've had another child has come along. You know, love is infinite. You know, you can, we can, you know, people love more than one child. Children can love more than one person. And I think the break, that's what's not made really explicit to, yeah. I think, in that adoption process. Yeah, um, there's almost, there's an aversion to that temporary upset yeah. or distress uh, rather than thinking of the long-term picture, which is that actually, yeah, you know, the, I suppose an ideal frame would be that you would be like a godparent or an auntie that you would, you know, you get a card from every year and you might see once or twice a year, maybe, maybe not even see once or twice a year, but you might get a, you know, get a card, but it, it, it's that golden thread, isn't it? That you, they yeah. make sense of who you are. So can I ask you then, it seems like a ridiculous question. What next then? What's next for you? Well, I'm really gutted that I'm not fostering anymore. I'm not going to lie. I loved looking after the children, but I just couldn't do the service anymore. But for me, I think I will look for a position where I'm already working within um, mentoring. So I'm helping children that have fallen through the holes. So, you know, I suppose I'm going back, you know, I, I like working with children. Um, so I'm already uh, mentoring. Um, and I don't know, really. I need to regroup. Mm. We need to regroup. I'd like to, I, 
I'm really quite passionate. I'd like to, you know, I campaign to see these changes happen. You know, I'd quite happily go and work for the union or something. I feel really passionate. I just feel that, you know, you can't, you can't have all this new understanding and not. I heard on your show the other day. I can't remember the name of the agency, but it was an adoption agency. Yeah, and they were counts. really, yeah, they were really, really promoting the new model. You know, keeping in keeping in touch. And I think, um, I think there was a point at the end where somebody was saying the problem is a high turnover of staff and yeah. having to re retrain them all the time because. People have very fixed views of like, like some people still have that view. You have to break an attachment in order to build another attachment. Some yeah. people still have that view. You know, um, some some social workers have even told me to sneak out if my child gets upset, and you know, in in a contact session, yeah. just just sneak out. So I I don't know what's there for me. I feel like. I'm quite positive. I feel like the road's going to open up and some opportunities are going to come my way because I am passionate about making the change. I'm passionate to speak up for those children who, you know, who I just, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I'm trusting of the universe that <laughs> something's going to happen. Um, Excellent. So the question, the last question is, uh, is there anything that I you hoped I'd ask you and I haven't? No, I don't really know because it's just there's so much, isn't there? Yeah. I think I'm just I think for me, I just wanted to put a foster carer's side through because I think what I think for me, what I hear often is foster carers are just negated from they're kind of not really that much in the conversation. You hear mm. fo about foster carer, but you don't always hear how hard it is for the foster carer, how emotional it is, or how it is to let a child go who's lived with you for two years or three years or four years. You know, it's all it's almost like foster carers are like a bit like a resource. So I just wanted to sort of put forward the side of a foster carer, you know, how how intense it is for a foster carer and how emotional it is and how how, how tr tricky it is for a foster carer to navigate that kind of social service world, Um and you've, well, you know, you've certainly done that. And I think I, I really appreciate your honesty because I think that, as you said, that people who are still fostering, they, they're careful. You know, they have to be careful. Um, but obviously you're in a position where you feel like you can be a bit more honest. So I, I really appreciate your time. And, you know, we've spent, we've coming up for the nearly an hour now. So, Nikki, thank you so much for your time um, and really appreciate your open and honesty. And I wish you well in your future plans. Thank you. 